a lot of what I'm going to share with you in the next hour is uh, familiar to many of you. Indeed, um, some of you may want to leave and go get coffee, but a few of you who want to revisit the classics with me uh, are welcome to stay. I'm going to do it through a demonstration that changed my mind. In 1986, 30 years ago, I saw W. Edwards Deming uh, in his four-day course do the demonstration I'm going to show you. And for me, it was almost a religious experience. It helped me change the way that I was thinking. And I'll explain to you what happened. But the premise I've got is that there is science here. And as buoyant as we feel and as connected, as excited as you are to be in this room together, and I am to be with you, there's a discipline side to this around using science to make things better. And I want to revisit those sciences with you. I'm doing it in the presence of my colleague Brent James, who in my opinion is probably the leading interpreter in the world of this science in terms of, of um, applications in healthcare. But I'm going to try to simplify it for you. Think about it this way. Would you trust a surgeon who didn't know anatomy? I wouldn't. Well, we're improvers. What's the equivalent underlying intellectual structure for the work we're doing? And it exists. And I'm going to share those sciences with you. But I'm going to do it in a, in a way that I first saw it experientially. You may be wondering why these people are standing here. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, no, they're here to help me. So what we're going to do, since we're, since we're doing improvement, we're going to improve something. Uh, right in front of you, right now, we're going to start an organization. We're going to start a company and uh, we're gonna make it successful. We're gonna make it ever better. And the company's gonna be called the Red Beat Company. And you're about to see the Red Beat game. So, um, welcome. These are my workers. I'm the boss. I don't do any work. Uh, <laughs> but they're here to do it. And I'm gonna help these people understand uh, their job uh, and, uh, and show you how, how to make something better. So welcome, welcome to my company. You all happy to be here? I'm happy to have you. They're smiling. They're, they're ready to go. So you probably want to know about this, uh, this work you're going to do. Is that right? So first note you should take, don't skip training. I'm going to, I'm going to train them to do this. We are a company that makes something that people need. People need beads. Um, they, um, they use them for all sorts of things. There's a real market out there. Uh, uh, people play games with them, they put them on their clothing, children put them in their ears so ENT surgeons could take them out. It's a, it's a very productive company. So you're here, welcome to the bead company. And again, I want to check, you're, you're happy to be here? Yeah. I'm happy to have you. Um, so I'm going to train you now on how to make beads. Is that okay? Okay, great. Um, so you want to come over here and, and, and watch? So uh, I, I went to a bank and I got a loan and I bought my, my plant, which you're going to work in, okay? And the, the plant is uh, a box full of beads. And uh, we make beads by uh, filling a paddle with 50, 50 holes. The paddle has 50 holes. And each hole is the size of one bead. Got it? OK. Let me check to make sure you're getting it. What do we make here? Beads. 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 A bit louder. Beads. 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 That's training. OK, so here's how you do it. <laughs> the way you make a bead is, beads is you, you take your right hand and the bead box and you stir three times clockwise to mix the beads. And you take the bead paddle, and you put the paddle under the beads, you sweep your hand over the bead paddle, and out comes 50 beads. That's a day's work. Got it? Great. Anybody notice anything about these beads? They're two colors. They're two colors. This is a potential supervisor. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. <laughs> Yes, uh, there are two colors here. There, there's red and blue. I put some reds in to make a point. We don't want red beads. We make blue beads, okay? So once again, what do we make in this company? Blue beads. Blue, blue beads. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Blue beads. Blue beads. You've got it, that's great. Okay, so we're gonna get to work, and, and we're making them for people out there. By the way, I should tell you, the hallway is full of people that want these beads. The customers are, are anxious to get going, and, uh, but you know what, I'm, I, I think training's important, so I'm gonna train you. Uh, would you like to practice? Try it? Sure. Go ahead, try it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, good, yes, the sweet technique, very good, okay, thank you, there's a day's worth, uh, well, there's, uh, there's some reds in there, Do you, were you listening before? Yeah. Yeah, we make blue beads, okay. but she's a trainee, you don't want to discourage her, of course not. Would you like to get trained? Oh, please. Go, go ahead, please. It's very, I know you're all impatient, the customers want the product, but if you skip training, write this down, if you skip training, you're going to get very poor performance, thank you very much, and, uh, and that's, uh, remember, blue, blue, blue. Got it? Okay. Got it. 
they're young and they're novices, but what can you do? Would you like to be trained? Absolutely. Don't underinvest in training. Go ahead. All right, that's very good. Would you like to? Thank you very much. No, no, we don't use the shake technique. We use the weak <laughs> technique. Right. Hey, you got it, okay? And uh, there, uh, there's red, yeah, with blue beads. I, I'm a little worried. We gotta make blue here. Would you like to be trained? Yes. We haven't got time. I'm sorry about that. Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> So now we're all set to go. Are we ready? I mean, you've got the, you've got the process. We got the customers. Uh, are we missing anything here? I mean, read the name of the, the, the meeting. It's quality, right? We miss quality. So the other part is I got to have a quality function. Anybody out there want to be quality director? Ah, would you like quality assurance, young man? Please come on up here. And, <laughs> We want to make sure we make the needs the customers want, and so uh, we have a uh, thank you, welcome to my group here. Uh, big mistake. What mistake is he making? He's much too close to the workers. You don't want them anywhere near them. <laughs> no, no, the quality, it's not that I don't trust them, but it, I don't trust them completely, and I think that it's important to be independent. You understand? Yes, Good. Can you count? Uh, one to nine. That's all I need. <laughs> uh, so if you would go take your positions over in the factory, I'll call you up here, and we're really uh, ready to go. Oh, you know what? It's uh, Stan, don't sit. Uh, <laughs> Got to be ready to work. Uh, I, I don't like the informality the formality here. I'd like to relax you, so we're going to just do a little bit, something a little more personal. So um, how about your names? Could you give me your, your names, your nickname? Uh, Sarah. S-A-R-A-H? Yeah. Okay, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. And Byron, B-Y-R-O-N. Byron. Thank you, Byron. Just want to have the workers relax, feel like they're in a social system, yes? Hema. Hema, H? E-M-A. Hema. Great, and? Morton. Morton. M-O-R-T-O-N? Yes. Morton, you feel relaxed? Already, don't you? Okay, you call me sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, so they're more relaxed. We're in, now, the other thing I can do is now that I have their names is I can start to make my uh, quality report, can't I? Yeah, so uh, this, will, this will be like days. So this will be day one, day two, day three, day four. The workers get to work. Now, your job is to count the defects. You count the reds. That's our feedback system, you mm. got it? So you're gonna make the beads, I'll bring it over to the counter, no talking to the counter, and uh, you're gonna count the reds and write it up here. Can you do that? Yes, sir. Yes, see, sir, he's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we're ready to go. I'm very excited, the phone is ringing off the hook because the customers are out there and they want the beads, and would you like to get started? Sure. So, Sarah, day one, aren't you excited? Yes, thank Yes, you are, okay, let's get to work. Cool. Fast. You dropped a bead. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Yeah, you're remembering the sweep technique. Very good, very good. Okay, Sarah, thank you so much for your first day of work. It's so exciting over here to the quality department. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten? Ten. Write the ten. Ten. Uh, Sarah, were you, you were here at the beginning, right? We make blue beads. Yeah. Okay. Don't want to discourage him, but I'm a little worried. It's, uh, please, would you? Um, getting the workforce up to speed is a matter of acquiring the skills and the knowledge. After all, how did I get my job? I, I, I made beads, and uh, thank you very much uh, for your first day's work. We'll come over here and... Uh... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. 13. 13. 13? Uh, Byron, are you... You, you want to work in this company, don't you? I'm sorry, sir. That's okay, as long as you're sorry. Uh, no, I, it's important to keep uh, uh, morale up. Uh, okay, please go to work. Uh, obviously, I'm the boss. I have information they don't have, which is, uh, this is performance. It's actually quite damaging. You know, we can only ship blue. The reds have to be taken out, thrown away, reworked. Sometimes reds get to the customers. Count, please. Sometimes count. Two, Sometimes three, we get four, the red. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Fifteen. And I thought Sarah was bad. Uh, <laughs> Hema, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Uh, please, Morton, uh, come and uh, help us out here. 
Um, the, 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 you understand the problem. The, the, the costs of blue go up. The, sometimes customers go three times clockwise. <laughs> that was twice. Okay. Uh, I'm working hard here to try to get some performance. Um, but um, the, the, the reason is not, I'm not a bad guy. It's, it's pressures out there. And One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Seventeen. We have a real. Oh. Wait a minute. Of course they can't do it. Uh, I forgot the fundamental principle. How could I forget it? It's a goal. You have to have a goal. How would they know what to do? I'm so sorry. Uh, there's a goal here. The goal is nine, red. For, uh, it's not my choice. Out there we have other bead companies. They, they're doing nine, and if we don't get nine, is our, I mean, we're in real trouble here, you understand. Okay, so nine, right? Okay, go ahead, Sarah, let's, let's try. Don't forget, if you don't give a goal, thank you, Sarah, um, how could you expect performance? Isn't that right? So, um, Sarah, thank you very much. Yeah, it's often when you find performance like this, um, well, uh, two, it's, it's three, you four, forgot to set the seven, aim. Eight, so nine, the strategy ten, falls over. 13, 14, 15. 15. Uh, uh, Sarah, nine. Can you remember the number nine? Sure. She was my best worker on day one. She was promising, but look, she's falling off the wagon fast. <laughs> Um, Byron, we're, now I've got real pressures. My board of trustees is on the line. Our, our sales department is saying they're getting feedback from the customers, and um, is, 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 um, it's, it's, really, uh, it's, it's really a problem, and, and two, we, they don't three, seem to... Four, five, six, seven, eight. Byron. <laughs> <laughs> There's my man. You are now on the supervisory track as opposed to Sarah who was, okay, yeah. Um, no, this is better. So now we got, but, but you keep your eye on the, please, Hammond, uh, keep your eyes on the, uh, on the um, high performers. I mean, you see Byron, look, look, see the improvement here? I mean, he's been really moving down to eight. This is great, and uh, he can set the example for, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven. No, this won't do him. Uh, maybe. Oh, 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 oh! I forgot. I forgot the mugs, and the slogan, because how can they remember the number nine unless I have a mug? So I, here's your mug. It's got a nine on it. Look at it when you drink your coffee every day. Okay. In fact, you know what would be nice? A slogan. Please get to work. A slogan would be nice. Maybe they can't remember nine. Do I have any? Uh, do I have any consultants? Would you make up a slogan? We'll have a company slogan with nine in it. Go ahead, somebody. Nine is fine. Yes, young man, that's very good. Um, One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yes. Okay, Morton. Morton's improved 50%. We're going to have to. We're going to chant the slogan. Uh, Morton doesn't need it, and Byron does, but him and Sarah do. But all together, nine is fine. Nine is fine? How much do I owe you for that, by the way? <laughs> nine is fine. One, two, three. Nine, nine is fine. fine. Great. Okay, now they'll remember it. <sighs> okay. Finally, we're in the clear. I have two good workers and two that I think can become good if I press them hard enough. Okay, Sarah, get to work. Sarah's work has really been disappointing. I, I, she was very promising in the beginning. She was the first one to recognize the reds. She, um, Sarah didn't do a day's work. She left it empty. Thank you. There you go, Sarah. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. eight. Don't say it with any emotion. <laughs> Just, no, you, yes, you, you use the numbers guy, okay? Eight. Eight. Eight, Sarah. That's really good. Thank you. So Sarah. now, you see, okay, so did you get that? We got a goal, we got a mug, we got the slogan, and now they can perform. Byron. My, my supervisor, my, my bright-haired bright -haired guy. I'll tell you, if only everyone was like Byron. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten. Uh, you been hitting the bottle, Byron? <laughs> Something wrong here? You want to stay in the supervisory track? Yeah. Um, Let's try, go ahead. Oh, 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 I forgot something else. You know, uh, please, um, I, I forgot uh, the incentives. I mean, the goal's good, but, you, but without, uh, without some contingencies here, you can't, you can't get performance. Uh, One, two, three, four, five, 
six. six. Emma, I think you're being, you're really coming along. I want to, I want to really, uh, yeah, Byron, keep an eye on her because she's going to take your job. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's only fair. Look, when I get performance, go ahead, Martin. When I get performance like this, uh, we, we, it doesn't, it isn't fair to pay everybody the same thing, is it? And, and, and we got to speak the language with incentives. You don't have incentives set up properly, you will not get performance. So we're going to start pay for performance. Uh, I've got to do it. Is that okay? Yeah. It's not your choice anyway. So, uh, <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight. See, we're now getting, you see, uh, slogans and mugs, followed by uh, a, a chant, and then pay for performance. And look what's happened. In fact, can I say much better, eh, better, better, three out of four, better. Uh, so we're going to, here's the performance system. You get um, nine or fewer, we get you your bonus, okay? Uh, 10, 11, no bonus. Uh, over 12, you're on probation. Uh, in fact, well, no, as we ship so many reds, we're going to have to right size, we say right size the organization, you know what that means. And, and, and it's only fair to do that on the basis of performance. So, so perform, okay? Uh, don't be scared, just perform. <laughs> okay, please, would you like to? Uh, we, we, we've got to stay on this trajectory. It's a highly competitive uh, world, and if we don't get this right, um, we, 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 are, we are going to be out of business. And uh, trying to convey... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine, it's okay. You get your bonus, okay. I, I thank you for <laughs> pitching you. in, Byron. Let's keep going. If I can get this kind of performance, we're going to, be, we're going to survive. Of course, we just got the memo that the competitive company, the Japanese bead company, is now uh, producing uh, eights instead of nines. So uh, we're really going to have to. One, two, three, four, five. Five, Byron. I'm back. So have you. <laughs> high, high five? High five. <laughs> my man, he's back on. We put him in the employee assistance program. He's getting some help now. And look at what this guy can do. It's, it's, it's real. By, uh, yeah, uh, Emma? Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Emma, that's not a day's work, Emma. You're leaving the <laughs> you just, that's better. Okay, thank you very much. So I'm, I'm much, um, much. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine, we're getting consistency and Morton. See what your colleagues can do, Morton. Yes. I'm sure you can perform. Good. Okay. Any day's work. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Very good. May I congratulate my workforce here. They're really, they're really doing just, just, just. So, did you all learn management pretty well? Let's talk about it. Take your seats, workers. Uh, thank my workers, by the way, for the job. Why don't you thank my, uh, thank my, uh, my counter. Thank you, sir. <laughs> so I saw uh, W. Edwards Deming do this demonstration in 1986. He was working with the work of a guy named Walter Schuhart I'm going to talk to you about. And, um, and uh, he did it, by the way, for about four hours. He had about eight workers, and they worked for about 15 days, and I could not conceive of subjecting you to that, but you, but you, but you get the idea. Um, I want to talk about the bead game, and I want to understand it with you, and I think maybe I'll ask the workers uh, to, to help me first. Um, how was it? How was it? What did you feel? I want to talk a little bit about the experience of working in the bead company. Word, you can use single words, just adjectives or just it's springing to mind. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. No you, you can use certain adjectives here. I think even in Sweden you can't use all the adjectives. <laughs> I didn't have, really have any ownership to the, to what was the that? process, any ownership. You didn't have any ownership of the process? So you felt... There's what? no way I could influence the result. No influence. I had no influence on results, he says. But, but uh, you, you, you did great. Look how terrible you were. <laughs> and then you did better. What do you mean no influence? <laughs> what do you mean no influence? Luck. Luck? Oh. Yeah. What are some of the other reactions you've got? Felt very arbitrary. Arbitrary. I could do well or I could do badly and had no and had nothing to do with the result. Well, you sure showed it. You had pretty <laughs> bad, fair, very good, fair. What do you mean arbitrary? 
Well, I had no control over the results. I was doing the exact same procedure each time and getting a different result. How, how did that make you feel? Like a machine. Like a machine, Emma, huh? Was I arbitrary? No, you had a, you had a, um, a metric. It just didn't I make had a what? sense. You had a metric of what I, your I'm sorry, I, I had a what? Metric. I had a metric, but it didn't make sense. We had no ability to relate to it. Just stay polite, okay. So. <laughs> I had a metric, but it didn't make sense. I thought I was making sense. Look, I, I, we had a goal. You know, I, that was coming from the world. We, we, had, a, we had a measurement. Uh, we had uh, mugs. <laughs> uh, I was working pretty hard to make sense. What do you mean it didn't make sense? I didn't know why 10 was worse than 9. Oh, because of, I do. The marketing department tells me. Because, you know, if we don't, uh, it didn't feel so good. What about you, Byron? What was it like for you? It's kind of a rush. A rush? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you Define rush. <laughs> when, you're, when you're staring at that board, you've got 45 blue beads and five red beads. Feels pretty good. He feels really good. Yeah. Feels pretty that, good. Was, that was a really good day, huh? High five. But that 10 day, that was a low day. That was that, a low point. You were mo going up and down in your emotions, were you? Yeah. What was, what was the 10 like for you? What did it feel? You know, I felt like I was... I was letting you down. Letting me down, yeah, I did too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to take the mug away. Um, I felt like I didn't have an opportunity to ask questions. You didn't have an opportunity to ask questions? No. Why would I give you an opportunity to ask questions? <laughs> <laughs> Just for extra clarification. Of what? I gave uh, you the rule book, I, I wrote the rules. What, what questions did you have? Um, just, I'm not sure. At the time, it felt like everything was quite rushed and pressured. Rushed and pressured? Uh-huh. Arbitrary, helpless, rush, pressure. Um, we built a culture, didn't we? It was uh, a whole system of interactions around uh, needed performance. Um, I don't think the words we just heard, except for Byron, who's on something, uh, <laughs> are too good. By the way, what did it feel like to be boss of this game? What do you think I was feeling? out there with the market pressures and everything, you know. We, the, you know, I got memos on day two saying, if you want to keep your job, you got to perform from my boss. What, did, what was I feeling? I'll tell you what I was feeling. Rushed, pressured, arbitrary, helpless, not in control. I'm not in control, but, but I'm, I'm sure using control. I'm an out there forcing these workers. Think of all the tools I brought to bear. I had variable compensation. I had a goal system. I had posters. I had mugs. I had a chant, training systems. I was even ready to fire someone. I mean, if you're not ready to draw blood, you shouldn't be a leader, right? So I was waiting for that day in which someone got the next 17 and they would be out of there so I could show symbolically that I will not tolerate uh, performance. And it's not because I'm a bad guy, I just know what the pressures are out there. We gotta get it done. Um, what's going on here? As you begin to unlayer with me the dynamics of the bead game, we can invent science. We can find uh, the answers. I'm going to show you the science. I'll show you how to, how to derive it. And we're going to do it sort of one step at a time. I want to go back, though, to the origins of the bead idea itself. What were we doing? We, we were making something. We had a very well-supported uh, uh, inspection department with a, with a measurement system attached. Um, we were making it, inspecting it, and judging it. That was the system. That's a very familiar plan. Uh, that plan has a history. It's a 20th century history. It came about around the turn between the 1800s and 1900s, and actually there probably is one, one man more than anyone else who was responsible for this uh, approach, Henry Ford. Uh, Henry Ford was a kind of genius. Uh, he, remember, prior to Ford, uh, there was an era of production which went back to the Hittites and the Babylonians. It was the production of craftsmen. You wanted to make a pot, you a craftsman made a pot. You wanted to make, uh, make, make a cart, a craftsman made a cart. Blacksmiths made, made. it was all apprenticeship, right? We had uh, uh, the masters teaching the 
the novices, then the novices became masters. It was handed out. Not for Henry Ford. Henry Ford was frustrated because he thought it was possible to create an economy, a production system, which was far smoother, far sleeker, in which you could produce things much faster than craftsmen ever could. Mass production. Mass production. What was that? Well, he said, I'm going to build cars, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a pile of axles and a pile of wheels, and then I'm going to have a worker who's going to grab an axle and grab a wheel and attach them and pass it on down the line. How fast is that? Axle, wheel, axle, wheel, axle, wheel. No craftsmen, assemblers. However, in doing so, he created a problem. And here's the problem. My assembler is going to pick up a random axle and a random wheel, and they darn well better fit each other. If they vary, they won't fit, and the whole line shuts down. Standard axles, standard wheels. Somebody smart has got to write a manual to make the axles all exactly the same according to specification, and the wheels are exactly the same according to specification, so any random axle, any random wheel will fit together. Mass production. He had a genius at his side, Frederick Winslow Taylor. Taylor was trying to figure out how to make this sleek, elegant system work. Now, the last thing he needed was workers who thought. Because every creative worker who said, yeah, I could do a little better with that axle, I could shape a slightly different wheel, is going to screw up the line. And the whole idea of assembly and mass production would fall apart. No good. He needed standardization. And his principles of scientific management were ways to take the study of production make it absolutely pure and sleek, hand the manual to the worker and say, don't think, do. Every worker the same, every task the same. Variation at a minimum. The principles of scientific management. And that was the enormous secret behind the beauty of mass production. When my workers were engaged in this standardization process I was trying to produce, what happened was standardization and stabilization, not, not performance, and a kind of de degradation of relationship between the worker and the boss. For, for Taylor, that was okay. He, he wasn't particularly angry at workers. He just didn't want him to add any variation. And that was the way they did it. And it was brilliant. Everybody had a car in the garage. What, what used to be boutique items now became dem democratized items. And mass production was the breakthrough in the economies of the first part of the 20th century. But it didn't, it wasn't as good as it looked. There were a lot of things wrong with it. One was the relationship between management and the worker, which we'll come back to in a minute. But the actual most serious issue had to do with the underlying inefficiency of inspection as the realm. Because remember, as we made the axles and made the wheels, if it didn't work, what did we do? We threw them away. Furthermore, in order to assure standard axles and standard wheels, we had to have an army of people making sure that those standards were adhered to, watching the workers and saying, no, 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 don't add any variation. And, and so this is a line from uh, John Button's book, uh, from a biography of Joseph Duran. And, and Button says, as the Bell system grew in size, this was making telephone switching equipment in the 1920s, it piled on more inspectors to oversee the field installation of the complicated new switches. They were quite complicated, not just cars and axles and wheels. But it wound up with more inspectors than job installers. Uh, the actual numbers at Western Electric Labs are known. Bland Godfrey was quoting to me yesterday. I think it was, the number, as I remember, was 26% of the employees of Western Electric Labs at this era were inspectors. So along came Walter Schuhart a physicist and a genius at Western Electric Labs making this telephone switching. He said, something's wrong with this. He said, what we're really doing here is conceding to the existing system. When you inspect and throw away the bad stuff, you're conceding to the existing system. It doesn't make any sense. There must be a better way to move upstream from the final product, the bead paddle, and think about causation and, 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 and where the stuff is going. Maybe we could work on processes instead of just products. And he was the father of what we now call statistical process control, one of the root sciences. The book he wrote about this has the worst title of any book I have ever seen entitled. He called it Economic Control of Quality of Manufactured Product. Can you remember that? 
not on Amazon's top list, but it, it's an interesting title. Economic control, meaning he regarded the whole inspection thing as very wasteful. Economic control, because he, like Taylor, was after a reduction of variation. Of quality, the bead count of manufactured product. The title told you what he was after. But he was a physicist and statistician, and he said, you know what? If we watch the process, watch the, the performance of the process, we can learn about the causes. Now, let's think a second about this uh, variation. Uh, if I go back to the numbers up here on this grid, and I ask you to characterize the numbers, so what are we looking at with these numbers? I know that's a subtle question. Take a minute, turn to the person sitting next to you, and, and, and discuss together the characteristics of that collection of numbers. Just go ahead and talk about it. Those, it don't, if you're confused, don't worry. We'll get unconfused in a minute. Go ahead. Okay, okay, okay. I got to stop you. But when I'm talking about the classics, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to put you in touch with understanding numbers. That's going to be part of the classics. What did you say about this? Someone yell out. What, did, what, what, what was something that came up in your conversation, that, that number, that distribution? Go ahead. Just random. Binomial distribution. Random, random. Random, random, random. Random? It, I mean, look, it, it doesn't look, is it random? I mean, look at, look at, uh, look at Morton, my continuous improver, 17987. That's not random. That's like four in a row, right? Uh, I mean, look, look, look at Byron. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, Byron, uh, 13, 8, 10 when he was uh, alcoholic, and then he got back <laughs> to five. Random? Are those random numbers? Well, yes, they are. They're random numbers coming from what, Brent? A binomial distribution. Here's, here's, Brent knows that because of the way we're producing these things, we're producing a distribution of numbers, those numbers, which follow of quite an orderly pattern. It's called a binomial pattern, and it so happens that this kind of standard, this kind of sampling from this kind of system will produce a binomial distribution. Binomial distribution has like a peak and then a long tail and a, and a short kind of front end. That's a binomial distribution. Random numbers from binomial distribution. Hmm. Well, here's this stupid boss. Think about it. I'm looking at these numbers, they're random numbers. And I'm rewarding and punishing and promoting and criticizing. Is there anything wrong with that? And here's Byron. High five, rush from a five. Byron celebrating a random number. <laughs> yeah? Schuhart said, no, not personal, Byron. This is stupid. Uh, to, to, to have a whole uh, system which is responding to variation, the, the words are random variation as if it were systematic, is really dumb. Because what I'm, all I'm adding is, now, and when, 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 when Morton and, and Hima and Sarah say, this feels, I'm out of control, they mean, I'm getting rewarded and punished in a random system. How crazy making is that? And Walter Schuhart said, stop it. Stop it. We have tools, we have methods in which we can actually look at the numbers and by studying the system, by studying the system, we can determine if it's random. That's the breakthrough. That's the central idea of statistical process control. Now he had a tool, he, it was the, the SPC chart, the statistical process control chart, and that's for a breakout session. That's for understanding how you could possibly take a set of numbers and actually understand is this random or not. What he observed was that Bell Laboratories, everybody's running around all the time responding to randomness. And he said, be really careful. There are some kinds of variation that are common cause. It's all in the system. Byron and Sarah and Hima and Morton, they're in the same darn system all the time. And to reward and punish them for events that are random is, it's not just wrong, it's sort of abusive. And you begin to see what's wrong. But it's highly inefficient. Remember, economic control of quality manufactured product? Schuart did something better than that, though. He said, sometimes something non-random happens. Sometimes there's an event in a system which is so out of the out of expectation that it isn't the system talking to us. It's the non-system. Something new happened. The power went out. A genius arrived. Uh, the saboteur is there. Something's weird. Think of a kid riding a bike. So here's a novice riding a bike. You ever seen a little kid on a bike? And, and you watch them on the bike, and they get on the bike and they go like this. What's going on? Little tiny variations, and he's responding to all of them. 
That's responding to randomness. Uh, a mature bike rider doesn't look at like that. They hold the bike and there's very gentle adjustments, but not this reaction. That's overreaction to random variation. And then there's another kind of variation, which is the bike hits a log. Well, darn well, if the kid's bike hits a log, he better do something. Because the log isn't part of the standard process, it's a special cause, it's a special process. And Schuart said the whole job in interpreting variation is to know the difference between random variation and special variation. Special variation, oops, there's a log. Or something happened, what could we learn from it? Maybe it's something really great that happened that we can learn from, be surveillant. But don't keep adjusting when things are random. We do have a different job when things are random. For example, we have a process here, which is random, but it's a binomial distribution. It has a system, it has a central. What, do you, what is the average of this process? Can you want to guess? Could I find out the average of the process? 0.2, 10B, it's rented in his head. This is a process which happens to be able to produce on average about 10 reds. That is a characteristic of the process. It's a characteristic of the random process, right? The central tendency. If I don't like it, I don't want to reward Byron and punish him up. Well, what I want to do is say, hey guys, let's get together. This is a 10 and we need a nine. And so there's a different invitation in Schuart's. When it's all random variation and you don't like the performance, work on the process. But don't abuse the, the incident. Don't abuse the worker. Um, the name of the abuses that we give it in the science is tampering. Tampering is responding to random variation as if it were informative. Congratulations, Byron, for a random number. Or you're out of here, Hima, because you just screwed up. That's wrong. That's tampering. The other kind of tampering is to respond to the log by changing the whole system. Because the system might be just fine, and all we need is logs not there. And that's fixing special causes. And that breakthrough, that breakthrough in thinking for, 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 for Walter Schuhart was the first science of quality. It's the science of statistics. It's not the statistics that you can never understand because it's got all these you know, radical signs and differential calculus. No, it's basic statistical understanding of variation. Understanding variation, and that's step one, part one. Part one of what? Part one of what W. Edwards Deming in his later years called profound knowledge. That's as bad a term as economic control of quality of manufactured product. What Deming did was really brilliant, though. He, he went back to the question of the core sciences. He said, what are the sciences? He said, there's really four. And this particular model of the scientific foundations for the work of all 3,300 of us is very valuable. It's not, it's not everything we need to know. It's not the Bible, but it's a pretty good chart. And I just shared with you one science, the science of variation. You want to be a mark, you want to be improver, you want to change the world, Let's get really smart about understanding variation. See, Deming's proposal was this. He said, you used to think before Schuhart, before Deming, before Duran, that if you wanted to get better at something, you needed to understand the subject. You want to be better at surgery, study surgery. You want to be better at nursing, study nursing. You want to be better at pharmacy, study medicines. He said, that's right, that's subject matter knowledge. You better know it. I don't want a surgeon to operate on me who doesn't know anatomy. And that, he says, will produce traditional improvement. But he said, well, it's not after traditional improvement. We're after accelerated total system transformation. He said, there's a, another set of knowledge we need. In fact, he said, there's really four kinds of knowledge. Now, again, I want to be really careful. This is not the Bible. I'm, I'm, I'm not giving you a catechism. I'm giving you some ideas to think about the scientific underpinnings. And I just shared the first of the elements, understanding variation. He said, there's four. He called them uh, understanding systems, understanding variation, understanding psychology, and understanding PDSA. That's, those were, that's one version of it. You'll see it in a minute. And I just explored with you um, the first of them. Deming's proposal is, if you're scientists, if we're scientists, and we have subject matter knowledge, so we know anatomy, and we're surgeons, but we also understand variation, systems, psychology, and PDSA. Don't worry about that. We'll get to that. We can make improvement happen faster than you ever thought it could. That's the scientific premise for the enterprise of improvement that we're engaged in as a global community. I say again, it's not the Bible and it's not complete, but it's really, really useful. And I just shared with you the first of the sciences, the science of variation. Have I finished? No. You could read books and spend 10 years studying this. It's a wonderful, wonderful field. And for those of you quantitative-minded, you want to dive deep, but you don't have to dive that deep. Even the first level of understanding of the difference, say, between special and common cause, between random and systematic, can begin to help unlock the kind of behaviors and nonsense that were so destructive 
in the era of mass production and in the bead game. Second science, systems. Deming called it appreciation of a system. What's that? Well, we made beads. And the beads are coming out of a set of influences, right? And, and me, the worker, the boss, I have a theory. I didn't tell you my theory, but I showed you my theory by the way I behaved. And if I asked you, what is the causal system in my brain between red and blue, what is my theory? You watched me act on it. Can any of you, why don't you take, take 30 seconds, just talk to the person next to you. Let, let's have you think about it. What's my theory? You watched me. I, it was a theory in action. What was it? What makes blue? Okay, I'm interrupting you too quick. This is the sign of inquiry. What makes blue? What's my theory? Training. Work them harder. Will of the worker. Workers. Workers. Every sentence you'll give me will be about these four guys. Try harder. Get trained. Be, be incented. Worker, 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 worker. That's a systems theory. I'm saying what makes blue is workers. Do workers make blue in this game? No. What makes blue? Luck? Think, think the five whys. Think deeper. If I said, tell me the cause of blue, you know the cause of blue. You know the cause of blue. What makes blue in this game? What makes the, the performance? Random. Why is it random? Think of the system of production. You have no conscious control over which balls fall into which hole. What does? So what's controlling the, 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 the numbers? Where's, where's this number? Where's this coming from? The number of blues. In the, the number box. of blues. It's coming from the box. Say, Don, Don you're a stupid boss. You're working on us. Work on the freaking box. <laughs> it's the mix. The supplier sent you red, so we're getting red, right? That's systems thinking. I just added another variable. Instead of worker, I added mix. Well, that's neat. If I would just change my mind about the theory and said, I'll bet it's the supplies, get, we could get to work on the supplies, right? Wouldn't you like that, guys? Um, so why don't we do that all the time? Well, the reason we don't all the time is that we don't understand the process. Deming said, if you can't describe what you're doing as a process, you don't know what you're doing. That's the, that's, that's the general theory of, that's the introduction of systems theory. The problem is the complexity of systems. Bead boxes are simple. It's some beads and some people and some paddles. Uh, preventing urinary tract infection isn't like that. Uh, doing successful cardiac surgery isn't like that. Preventing obesity isn't like that. No, no, it's very complicated. Now, it's spelled out in a book, a great book on systems theory by Peter Senge back in 20 years ago now, the fifth discipline. I'm gonna come to books in a minute. But the problem is this, this is a system. This is what it looks like. I happened, I just got on the web and put in system, and this is a picture that probably violating copyright laws showing you a picture of the global food system. If I drew a picture of your operating room or your community health work and obesity or your attempt to prevent HIV AIDS, that's what it looks like. Systems are really messy things, and anybody that comes in with a linear idea that it's the workers that do it and we have to try hard and give them the right incentives, which is the hegemonic view of policy today, create incentives and everything will happen, absolutely not. That's a bankrupt theory because we, the system dynamics matter a lot. They, they, they matter in very complicated ways. We have tools. We, we can get to systems. These guys could get to systems. I mean, after, I, th I think it was you, Sarah, who said something, I, want, I have some ideas here. If I let her go with that, I'd start to say, oh, she'd say, Don, Don, slow down. You know, yeah, you trained me, and thank you very much, but no, it isn't me, and let me help you think about where it's coming from. Systems knowledge is there. IHI uses driver diagrams. That's just one little tool. It helps you begin to do what Deming said, if you don't understand the system, you don't know what you're doing. So let's get an image of the causal stuff. Maybe it's going to look really, really messy like this. Maybe it, we can make it a little more orderly, but the inquiry about causation and the working with multiple causes and networks of systems is the second science. Um, it's really hard, and I'm going to give you some assets for doing it at the close of my talk. So. Uh, one of the assets I, I do want to mention is this book, The Fifth Discipline. It happens to be the very first book that the founders of IHI read together, which opened our thinking about systems. Peter Senge's interpretation of systems 
is deep because it helps us understand how in the real world the systems don't perform the way we want them to. Why? They're nonlinear, they have feedbacks, they're unstable. And you can find this in his book. It, it, it's, it's, it's laws of behavior when you're really in systems thinking. It's not give a mug and he'll do better. That's just bankrupt. Incentives are bankrupt. It can't work because look at the system dynamics. Behavior grows better before it grows worse. The easiest way out usually lays in. The cure can be worse than the disease. Faster is slower. What does that mean? That is deep understanding of a century of research on the way systems behave. Systems thinking, the second science. Understanding variation, understanding systems. Third science. I call it a theory of knowledge. I don't remember what Deming's term was. It means growth of knowledge. And here's the problem. If it's simple, does aspirin cure headaches? The growth of knowledge is pretty clear. Give some people aspirin, other people not. Double blind it, do a randomized trial, and you understand does aspirin cause headaches. But that's not how knowledge grows in most systems. The system I always use to describe this is my marriage. Uh, 40th anniversary coming up. Thank you all very much. Um, <laughs> the last slide is my home address. You're welcome to send me anything you like. I will say, uh, even though Anne's not here today, my marriage has gotten better every year. Um, and, and I'm so thrilled with that. Never, ever, ever have I given my wife a questionnaire or scored it. Uh, we don't have a linear system. It's like every day is a new day, and we have to understand the dynamics of what's going on. The way a kid learns to bike. No kid does a bike, learns to ride a bike by doing 20s rides on a hill and conducting and drawing a two-by-two two table and doing Fisher's exact test? No, it, it, bike riding is a learning dynamic thing. And Peter Senge's view is the only way to learn in a complex system is through constant empirical experience digested, but not, not confined. And so the question is, what is the learning system in a complex system? Well, the best example I've seen uh, came from our colleagues, the Associates in Process Improvement, API, Tom Nolan, Lloyd Provost, Kevin Nolan, uh, Cliff Norman, and others. It's not the Bible. It's not the only way to do it. So you're using other models, that's fine. But having a way to think about the way you're going to learn when things are really complicated is important. And this model is pretty simple. It says, well, when you're trying to learn in a really complex environment, decide what you're trying to make better, fewer reds. Um, better have something you can measure. Could be narrative, could be a number table. So, so find out if you, how would you know if you got better, is the, is the question. And, um, and, and then find a different way to do it. Find a different supplier. Uh, uh, move your positions on the handlebars. Speak to your wife differently tomorrow morning. Just find a change that's worth doing. Where do you find the change? Hey, got 3,000 people here, 600 posters, lots of changes in this room. You, you open your mind, you begin to look for possible things that are worth trying. But you're not going to do a randomized trial. You're not going to do an experiment. You're going to put it to work. Get on the bike. See if you can do it. And, and, and that's Plan, Do, Study, Act. That PDSA thing, I know it's kind of abrasive to newcomers. It, it's like, what are you doing? This is catechism. It's, it's not religion. It's a reminder. It's saying, if you want to get better in a very complex environment, try something and see what happened. Are you worried about bias? Somewhat, but you're smart. Just remember you might be biased. Are you worried about accuracy of numbers? You should be, but they don't be perfect. Just enough to learn. And that idea of constant trial all the time, everywhere, and that democratized workforce, everybody trying something all the time, trial after trial after trial after trial, building confidence in the real world. It's the only learning system that can work in a complex nonlinear environment. If you understand variation and you understand systems, you have to learn by trying stuff. There is no other way. I wish there were. It'd be great if we could randomize trial on improvement. That's a stupid idea. It'll never happen. You can't do it. Um, if, if you are a systems thinker, by the way, there's orderliness to the trials. If we want to make a great football team, we'll have a, a whole bunch of ways to make running better, a whole bunch of ways to make passing better, and shooting, and conditioning. Uh, and uh, we'll probably get a better team overall by having, being a systems thinker in a, in a world of constant change. We can use it in healthcare, chronic illness care. This is what a model might look like. This works right out of Ed Wagner's chronic disease model but it has lines of improvement. So if you're a CEO or leader, you want to have a portfolio of this kind of constant learning going on in the nonlinear world of systems. And you will fail. Thank goodness you will fail. No kid has ever learned to ride a bike without falling. No system workforce or leader has ever gotten better the first time. 
uh, Thomas Edison said, I didn't fail 1,000 times. I found 1,000 times how not to make a light bulb. Think of the psychological difference now from Frederick Taylor and inspection to Deming and systems thinking. Uh, fail to learn. Fail in order to learn. So we've done three of them. Variation, system, theory of knowledge. But I'm not done. I saved the hardest one for last. And it's the most elusive in Deming's area of profound knowledge. He called it psychology. Uh, Frederick Winslow Taylor had a psychology. He said, hardly a competent workman can be found who does not devote a considerable amount of time to studying just how slowly he can work and still convince his employer he's going at a good pace. Watch the games. <coughs> Watch your Ministry of Health. Uh, go to the workforce and say, we know you're trying to get away with something because you're workers and we're going we're to make sure you can't. We set the standards, we set the manual, we say, uh, Hima, Byron, follow the rules and we're watching because hardly a competent worker can be found who isn't trying to get away with something. Deming said, maybe not. I have a video I want you to watch. It's two minutes long, uh, but it's worth it. Could you play, play the video, uh, Martin, please? Team manager Mitchell Marcus has a developmental disability. One, two, three, four. But he far surpasses everyone here when it comes to love of the game. Mitchell's mom, Amy, says he's always been that way. And because basketball is that important to him, on the last game of the regular season, the coach told Mitchell to suit up. Just wearing a jersey was enough for Mitchell. But what he didn't know, what no one knew at the time, was that the coach planned to play him. At the end, no matter what the score. You were prepared to lose that game. For his moment, yes. For his moment in time, yes. And so with a minute and a half left, Coronado leading, but only by 10, Coach Morales put in his manager. And just started hearing Mitchell, Mitchell. But here's where the fairy tale fell apart. Although his teammates did everything they could to get Mitchell a basket. Each time they passed him the ball, he either missed the shot or like on their last possession, booted it out of bounds turning the ball over to the other team with just seconds left. What happened next happened on the inbound. The guy with the ball there is a senior at Franklin High School, number 22, Jonathan Montanez. Uh, I just, I was raised to treat others how you want to be treated. Just thought Mitchell deserved his chance, deserved his opportunity. What Jonathan did was yell out Mitchell's name, then threw the ball right to it. Right there, one of the most memorable turnovers of all time. It wasn't the game-winning shot. When the buzzer sounded, Coronado had 15 more points than Franklin. But Jonathan's assist and Mitchell's basket did change the outcome decidedly. Play any game with this much sportsmanship. Both teams win. Carrots and sticks, rewards and punishments, pay for performance. Um, doctors get arrogant and say, you're trying to control me. Managers get scared and, and invasive, saying, why aren't you doing what I want? Um, the, the behaviors are negative. Um, depression, combat, control. Every worker is trying to get away with something. Hardly a competent worker can be found. And look what we produce. Um, what if everybody is number 22, Jonathan Montañez? What if there's a part of everybody that would pass the ball to the other team to help that kid make a shot? Is that crazy? I don't think so. I think the underlying motivation structure available to us as human beings is like Jonathan Montañez. And I think a system of, of, of work which is not mindful of, the, of interpretive variation correctly, which is not mindful of systems and their causality, which is not mindful of the beauty of continuous learning and failure as instructive, produces a dynamic that chills and murders the underlying motivation of number 22. I prefer a leadership system which has a different theory of motivation, a different science 
a motivation, a one that says, uh, he did a great thing and I might too. And, and the organizations that thrive, that, that really build um, momentum and trust, we call it joy in work, have that property, not the bead game. That's science too. Now Deming actually meant much more than that in psychology. He, he talks about adult learning. He talks about conflict resolution. He talks about group process. What he means, though, is there are sciences of the way we work with each other. And yes, understanding variation is important. And yes, systems are important. And yes, we have to have a theory of knowledge that actually works. But we need a mental context, a theory of human beings, which is more respectful of the way human beings really are, not the way we have been taught to regard them by, I'll have to say, blunt economic theory. So a theory of psychology. Um, in the bead game, how did we make you feel? Undervalued. Undervalued. Not special. Not special. Helpless. Um, how did Jonathan Montañez feel? Um, so we've got it. Profound knowledge. Uh, a theory of motivation that is sophisticated, and the key book here is Douglas McGregor's uh, The Human side of enterprise, which he lays out the two ways to behave. Uh, theory X, management controls through incentive. Theory Y, management is there to support the intrinsic value of the human spirit. Variation, systems, knowledge, and psychology, the sciences. Not complete, but a good place to start, but we're not done. A couple more minutes. We're not talking about an individual here doing their knitting or their gardening all of which applies. We are talking about interdependent systems, organizations. Organizations have structures, they have leaders, they are what I call a vessel. And, and, and this is the, the work of management and leadership that we're here to develop. It's, to it's not just to know what the knowledge is, but to create an environment in which that knowledge is valued and can thrive. Knowledge of variation, knowledge of systems, knowledge of learning and learning systems, and knowledge of number 22, Jonathan Montañez. Um, what does that vessel look like? Well, here, uh, it would take me another hour, which I don't have, to, to begin to explore it. But we, we actually have some good help here. Deming himself. Deming himself produced a set of ideas. And there's no Bible here. There's no, there's no catechism, but there's ideas. Deming said, if you believe that the, prof that the not profound knowledge is, is a, is a, is a, has to be wedded to such a knowledge, to successfully respond to the myriad of changes that shake the world, transformation to a new management style is needed. What did he mean transformation? He mean I need a management system in which the four areas of knowledge can grow, four areas of science can grow. One that understands variation, is sophisticated about systems, has a good way to learn, which is supported everywhere all the time, and is respectful of a workforce that really wants to do the right thing. He called that transformation to the new style of management. Now, do we have help? We have tons of help. There's a whole, I mean, Warren Bennis and Peter Drucker and all the great writers, they're all in the same game, which is helping us think about the way to create an environment in which thriving and learning can happen. Joseph Duran is probably near the top of that list. His, Duran's quality handbook is 2,000 pages long. It's a really, really difficult and very challenging way to think about the way we manage and work. Deming's 14 points. I put them up here not because you're going to remember them or even read them on the slide, but there is history here. And I personally feel that Deming's 14 points, he called them obligations for top management. This is a way to think as a leader which helps guide your investments in leadership. And I have actually still have never seen a better list. I have shown this list early on in my career in medical environments and been thrown out of the room, almost literally. This, this doesn't play well in medicine. But I'll tell you guys, in the secrecy of this room, for 3,300 of you, study this stuff. Because it'll begin to give you ideas about ways to behave as a leader so the vessel allows the science to thrive. Duran's simplification of it was the vessel better be able to support control not control but from outside, not the bead boss making mugs, but shoehart control, where the workforce can stabilize its own process. That's what process control charts do. The, the vessel here is to allow the workforce to do what it wants to do, which is make its work good, stabilize it. The second is improvement work, which is the learning, which is 600 posters showing learning. That's almost all improvement. And the third thing the vessel needs to do is provide an environment for something totally new to arise. We were in Yunshipping yesterday, I saw the self-dialysis unit, where 45 patients on hemodialysis do their own hemodialysis. That is not an improvement, that's an invention. And it required a different management structure. 
that allowed the people that have done that, Grip Marie and Christian Foreman, and, and the people that invented it to say, hey, we really want you. Go invent, and then tell us what you found. Control, uh, improvement, and, and, and invention. Now, I'm not saying any of these are exactly right. I'm saying they, that they, the question, how can I, as a leader, a manager, an individual, act in such a way that understanding variation, understanding systems, building knowledge over time, and respecting human spirit will thrive in the environment. That's a tr transformation, says Demi. That's not your, that's not the B game. That's a different system. So what can you do? I don't know. Depends on who you are. It depends on where you are in the hierarchy. It depends on how your span of control. It depends on your degree of knowledge of these things to start with, but a short list. Understand variation. Go to the books. Begin to understand when things are random and when not, and see how you could be smarter at that, whatever level you're working at. You know those senior staff meetings where you get these big books of quality and there are tables there and everyone go get, goes gets coffee? That's not a very good way to understand variation. Well, unlearn it. Uh, systems, appreciate a system. Now that's bigger stuff. I'll give you some readings, but um, I got one little hint. I think, I don't know where I first heard this. Maybe it was John Dowd. He said, the key question you can ask is not what do I do, but what am I part of? And I think that's a pretty important idea. If, if everyone begins to go back to work and says, what am I part of? Who depends on me? How, how are they feeling about what I'm doing? You begin to be a systems theorist. The theory of knowledge, simple to say, hard to do, which is practice PDSA all the time. Be a kid on a bike. Get on the bike. And so when your staff meeting or your personal planning or your corporate strategy, ask the question, what are we trying? What's new? And that, the speed of trial is the speed of learning, like a kid on a bike. Slow learning big experiments, three years of setup to have the New England Journal article, not what we're talking about. That's a different enterprise, important one, but a different one. This is learning every day in real time. And then psychology, just remember Jonathan Montanez, you're number 22, so is everybody else. Just, what's, what's the downside of assuming that? Yes, yeah, somebody's number 21. But, but I think the titer of number 22 is, is plenty to work with, and I think that's, you know, start with trust. At the dialysis unit at Yunshipping yesterday, I asked Britt Marie and Patrick, patient who's now a, patient, a supporter, and Britt Marie running the unit, what let you do this? And they, everyone said the same word spontaneously, trust, trust. And the vessel, I'm telling you the vessel, make, ask yourself the question, in the environment I lead, let's start with leaders, would profound knowledge thrive? Would people interpret variation correctly? Would system theory be in place? Would, 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 uh, would we be trying stuff and learning and failing to learn? Not failing to learn, failing to learn. And are we infinitely respectful of each other's spirit? Um, reading list, six books. That's only one every two months between now and the next forum. <laughs> but this is science, guys, and you weren't born with it. It's not in your DNA. It was, wasn't in your crib. You have to learn it. So many of you already know it. I told you, if you want to understand systems, here's your book. Peter Senge's The Fifth Discipline. Beautiful read, beautifully written, 20 years old, still just right. The place where our group that started, I started. Um, you want to understand epistemology, learning over time, PDSA, and systems thinking. Read The Improvement Guide. It is, to me, the best text still in the field, uh, Langley Nolan and Nolan's Improvement Guide. It teaches you everything I just told you, but in ways that are, that are practical. Third book is about psychology. I think one of the great geniuses of the century was Chris Argyris at Harvard. Uh, Chris died a couple years ago, but he wrote many books. A short and beautiful one is called Overcoming Organizational Defenses. And what Argyris is trying to understand is the difference in an organizational leadership context between one that is controlling the bead game and one in which learning becomes the key. Fourth book is a wonderful book. It is about um, reliability in systems. And, 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 and the nature of failure and the way to avoid it. It is Managing the Unexpected by Carl Weick and Kathy Sutcliffe. It's, the, it's, it's about high reliability organizations. It is a gorgeous book. It absolutely will open your thinking to the vessel question. What is the vessel that allows continuous learning to happen? The book I, number, the book I would start with, the first book to read, because it's so much fun, it'll just be motivating you to read it, is The Design of Everyday Things by Donald Norman. This is systems thinking. It's systems thinking about human factors. Now, I know that sounds like it's down a rabbit hole. It isn't. 
If, if you read Norman's book, you will just change the way you think about causes. The next time something goes wrong, you'll have a completely different way to understand what went wrong. So it, it, to me, it's a front door book to systems thinking that's wonderful. Then the final book is also down a rabbit hole maybe, but it's really important, it's human error. Since we're really focused on safety, and remember in Deming's world, it's not just profound knowledge. It's profound knowledge linked to subject matter knowledge. We want books that help us link subject matter to profound knowledge, human error. Jim Reason's book, 20 years old, 30 years old, the founding book in, in, in understanding where humans fail, totally changes the view of that. It, it's the, the, these, uh, let's, be, let's be scholars, let's be scholars. Can it work? Yes, it can work, but, but there's a hurdle. So two more quick things and I'll stop. First, a personal story. Uh, I'm not religious. I don't really have a conversion experience. But I do have an intellectual conversion experience, and it was, in the, it was Deming, uh, who, who wasn't God. He, he was just a smart guy who had some ideas. But the ideas were new to me. In 1986, when I went to Deming's course, and I saw the bead game, I was in charge of quality. I was Frederick Winslow Taylor's best friend. I was in an HMO and my job was to do everything I just did in the B game. I just didn't know I was doing it. And then I went to Deming's course and he began to lay out just what I'm laying out to you. And here's what happened. It was a four day course. On day one and a half, noon on day two, I left. I hated it. I was so angry at this pontificating drone, Deming. Uh, and I said, this is crap. And I left. Uh, it was in Washington, D.C. I left the hotel, I went to the airport, I got on the plane, and I flew home to my family. And my wife said, what are you doing? I said, what I'm doing is not wasting my time. That was crap. And that night, I went to bed, and I could not sleep. I tossed and I turned and I tossed and I turned. I was sweating. I remember it. My wife said, what's going on here? And I didn't know until 6 a.m. And then I, I just remember saying, Oh my God, he's right. He's right. I was seeing for the first time in my experience in systems leadership a way to think that I could identify with as a science. And when I went back and inspected my bead game, I said, that's not science. Where did all that come from? And that moment for me was, was a moment of, of uh, realization. I got back on a plane. I, my wife still thinks I was crazy. 6 a.m., I drove to Logan Airport, got back on a plane, and attended day three and day four. <laughs> It's a true story. <laughs> My point is, this isn't easy. It's hard. It's hard intellectually. It's hard because you have to give up beliefs that you have and, and hold very dear, and beliefs that are appearing and reinforced in every issue of every morning paper. Uh, and, and, and only transformation is, will work, transformation of the way we think. So final thing is uh, another little video, just short, but. I, I, I found a transformer, a transformative leader on YouTube who's so good, I can't help sharing him with you. I feel, I feel happy of myself. I feel happy of yourself, too. What, do you got any words of wisdom? What about for all the other kids trying to learn how to ride their bike? Can you say anything to them? That's your assignment. The next two days, just rock and roll. Thank you very much.